Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every week to promote and to defend public education. And it's a pretty difficult thing to do these days because uh, the Lib Labs uh, seem to really want to favour the private schools, whichever whichever part of the spectrum you're on. The Greens, I think, have got some idea that public schools are a good thing. But um, we still keep matters and we don't compromise either. Uh, we have a press release today, um, 979, and it's uh, substantially about what's happening in America because we think that we can learn from America. The really sad thing in Australia is that a lot of good public school supporters uh, in the end, they hold up their hands and look for a compromise, anything to get money into the public system. But the private system always finds loopholes and gets more money. Uh, and they make a nonsense of things like the needs policy. And the latest idea that has come up from Bonner and Greenwell, good men, good public school men, is that uh, we should follow England and Canada and a few other places and give all the money uh, fully fund private schools and then demand that they uh, have an open enrolment policy. Well, I'm quite sure they will take the full funding very happily, but forcing them to get an open, open-ended enrolment policy, I suggest, would be quite a different matter. But it is, in fact, uh, the voucher system that they are suggesting or a version of it. So we thought that it might behove uh, our listeners to find out what's happening to voucher systems in the United States. So I'll pass you over to Sorrel and to Maddie, who are going to read our press release 979. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jean. The introduction of state aid to private schools in Australia in 1964 by the coalition Menzies government and its legitimisation by the Labor Party through various things of a failed needs policy whether it was the Blackburn Carmel variety or the Gonski reincarnation, has led to the current situation. Australia is confronted with an education crisis caused by a parasitic private system which blatantly discriminates against families on the basis of class, creed and colour and a public system starved of funds. The private system is costing taxpayers at least $16 billion a year in direct grants alone. It is undermining our public system and dividing our nation. Those who wish to placate the private school lobby but support the public system have recently, in good faith, come up with the idea of fully funding private schools but requiring them to cease enrolment discrimination. For example, in their report, Choice and Fairness, a Common Framework for All Australian Schools, Researchers Chris Bonner and Tom Greenwell say the funding overhaul would cost taxpayers an extra $8 billion a year, but boost academic equity and achievement. Private schools could continue to be independently owned and operated and could prioritise enrolments for families from faith backgrounds. But the report says private schools that want to keep charging tuition fees or to exclude certain students would not receive any taxpayer funding at all. The reality is that our current hybrid public-private framework is not fit for purpose, Bonner and Greenwell, both of whom also wrote Waiting for Gonski, How Australia Failed Its Schools, argue in the report. 
We won't solve Australia's declining education performance and equity if we don't first put in place a new equitable framework within which we fund and regulate our schools. The biggest cost at $6.5 billion a year would be funding each state school to its schooling resource standard, an estimate of how much total public funding a school needs to meet its students' needs. These ideas are being given broad coverage in the Fairfax press. Dogs are saddened by these proposals. It means that keen and dedicated supporters of public schools have heard the siren call of compromise with a religious lobby, which never compromises, but again and again has exploited the genuinely Christian feelings of those who wish to extend the benefits of education to all citizens and their children. It means that they are prepared to give up on basic principles of separation of religion and state in order to channel a few billion dollars back into the public system. They are prepared to let religious organizations continue to loot the public treasury. The Greenwell Bonner proposal is a version of the American voucher system, which has been peddled by billionaire religious organizations and billionaires themselves with highly questionable motives. The following article should give Australian citizens and public school supporters food for thought. This story shows even in conservative Virginia, legislators appear to regard a bright, shiny new voucher scheme called an education success account a bit too obvious an exercise in looting to pass muster. Over to you, Sorrel. Thanks, Maddie. So this is a defeat of a school voucher program reveals motives behind the school choice debate by Sandra Jones, who served as an investigative reporter for nearly two decades and has received numerous awards for her broadcast reporting and it was originally produced by our schools. When Republicans in Virginia state legislature renewed their proposal to enact legislation to create a new school voucher program in the state, previous attempts were vetoed by Democratic governors in 2016 and 2017. They said their effort was to push to strengthen parental rights and expand educational opportunities according to Virginia Mercury. But when it came time to vote on these proposals in February 2023, a majority of Virginia lawmakers thought otherwise and voted the school choice proposals down. A bill that Republican lawmakers were especially keen on, House Bill 1508, would have created the Virginia Education Success Account Program, which would allow parents to set up a savings account funded with state dollars that could be used to cover educational expenses at private schools in Virginia, the Virginia Mercury reported. The proposal is an example of a new breed of school choice laws that have been enacted in 10 states so far. The so-called education savings accounts, ESAs, essentially work like school vouchers that have long been a priority for right-wing conservatives and libertarians, according to our school's reporter, Peter Green. Despite the proposals for the new voucher program going down in both the Virginia House and Senate, proponents of the bill are far from discouraged. According to a February 2023 article in the Virginia Mercury, I think people are still learning and getting their minds around what ESAs are and how they work and making sure that they don't harm public schools, said Rachel Adams, Director of External Affairs for Americans for Prosperity Virginia, a libertarian conservative advocacy group that advocated for the bill. We'll be back next year doing the same thing, she said. 
But the reluctance of Virginia lawmakers to go forward with this idea shows where opposition to this form of school choice is coming from and calls into question just who these proposals would create opportunities for and how they would impact local schools that the vast majority of parents choose to send their children to. For Kathy Beery, a retired educator with Harrisonburg City Public Schools, bringing education savings accounts to Virginia meant the exact opposite of what the proponents of the new law said it would result in. It means that children will not receive the educational opportunities that others will receive in other parts of the state, she told our schools. The other parts of the state that Beery referred to are the metropolitan areas like Richmond, where education choices are abundant, versus rural communities where education advocates believe that efforts to enact more school choice will harm the local schools they value. Beery is a member of the Virginia Educators United and a strong advocate for public education, especially for parents and kids in rural districts. For rural communities, she said, the schools are the center of community connections. To lose their school means, learning, means losing sports, bands, school plays, and friendships that support the community. Beery, who has been on the front lines in the fight against public school privatization, believes that these proposals could have a detrimental impact on rural schools that are already experiencing financial stress. Without the needed resources, students left in the public school system will do poorly on state standardized tests, which make the schools more vulnerable to takeovers and privatization. Beery said. She described this as a test and punish system. Miles away in the largely rural county of Roanoke, Laura Bowman shares a similar sentiment. This is a horrifying attempt to undermine not only public schools, but also the entire teaching profession, she said. Bowman described supporters of the Virginia Education Success Account Program as moneyed interests who never let a crisis go to waste and the recent pandemic is no exception. Bowman, who has served as president of the Roanoke County Council of PTAs and chairman of the Roanoke County Public Schools Parent Advisory Council, has spent more than a decade advocating for the health, safety, education, and well-being of children. She too described Virginia school assessment policies as a test and punish system and added the results of those corporate provided tests, not local assessments, report cards and graduation rates are used to give weight to the school choice argument. By focusing on the standardization test scores of students who live in under-resourced communities, the privatizers assert that public schools are the problem, not the circumstances that the children in those communities live in. Bowman also questioned how widely applicable the new voucher program's opportunities would be. I live in a more rural part of Virginia, she said. Whether the voucher is 5,000 or 6,300, it isn't going to get a student in the door of any of the, my local private schools. For a variety of reasons, there are fewer local private schools and the cost per student is higher than in metropolitan area with more existing school options and resources. Bowman noted that voucher advocates who acknowledge the cost differences between tuition at high quality private schools compared to what a voucher would cover are advocating for so-called micro schools that allow families to pool their voucher money to form a school, a small school with other parents. She counted 
This assumes there are adults who are able to be at home with the kids and who can, one, effectively teach the kids essential ideas and skills, and two, ensure that the content is going to be centred on factual information and will help the students succeed post high school. While advocates for the voucher program might argue <clears throat> that not all private schools do a disservice to students and their communities, consider the potential harms of scaling up the known worst cases that have so far resulted from a lack of regulatory insight that guides public schools. In January, 2023, Vice broke a shocking story about an Ohio homeschool telegram channel with thousands of members that openly embraced Nazi ideology and promoted white supremacy whilst proudly discouraging parents from letting their white children play with or have any contact with people of any other race. Admins and members used racist, homophobic and anti-Semitic slurs without shame and quote Hitler and other Nazi leaders daily in a channel open to the public. If the bill creating the Virginia Education Success Account Program had been successfully passed, would Virginia parents using this neo-Nazi homeschool network be able to have their expenses covered with public tax dollars? It's not clear. Well, isn't that a very interesting situation? Um, no, I mean, I think it's wonderful that the Virginia people are, are preventing this from happening, but it shows you how people who are interested in making money or how the extreme right ideologues are very happy to um, peddle their, their ideas uh, at the taxpayer's expense. Uh, and this, of course, is exactly what's been happening in Australia for a long time, hasn't it? So let's find out about where the, some of the Republicans sit. Over to you, Maddie. Thank you, Jean. Vouchers don't provide an actual choice for students living in rural areas who have little, if any, access to private schools. This is according to the National Coalition for Public Education, which is a nation nationwide advocacy group that champions public schools and explicitly opposes school vouchers. If students are able to use a voucher, they are generally required to endure long, costly commutes, the NCPE's website said. And vouchers are especially harmful to the public school system serving large rural areas because the schools are forced to spread the same costs for facilities, transportation, administration and instruction over a smaller revenue stream. The potential negative impacts that new voucher programs may impose on rural schools have significant consequences for the nation's public education system at large, because more than one in four schools in America are rural, and nearly one in five students attend a rural school, which is approximately 8.9 million students. Despite warnings from advocates about the dire consequences new voucher programs would have on rural schools, there is a growing resurgence in state legislators for school choice action, Education Week reported, especially for enacting new ESAs. In a January 2023 Education Week article highlighting new ESAs that are expected to roll out in Iowa and Utah, Douglas Harris director of the National Center for Research on Education Access and Choice at Tulane University, said that the programs are enjoying greater popularity because the term vouchers doesn't poll very well. So they're just changing the name to make it sound better. 
school voucher programs have become an especially high policy priority for Republican governors, according to the analysis done by Future Ed and The 74, a media outlet that is generally supportive of school choice. An article based on the analysis noted, the school choice proposals in 15 state of the state addresses nearly all came from Republican governors. And the only Democratic governor to broach the subject, Arizona's Katie Hobbs, pledged to provide more accountability for a broad expansion of education savings accounts that her predecessor pushed through the legislature. In Texas, Governor Greg Abbott said in February 2023 that he will be heavily involved in the push for an education savings account program this legislative session. The article noted similar proposals have typically met resistance from a coalition of Democrats and rural GOP lawmakers. Abbott, however, opted to cherry pick his constituents' opinions, saying among Republican rural voters, about 80% support this. There has been no shortage of controversies surrounding the school choice debate, and the controversies surrounding these proposals are not going away. One firefight that recently fled came from Utah, where a prominent lobbyist, Alison Sorensen, executive director of Kaysville-based Education Opportunity for Every Child, who is helping to lead the effort to enact a new ESA program in that state, was recorded saying she wants to destroy public education. She later apologised for her remarks, but public education proponents, including education historian Diane Ravitch, called the comment an example of voucher proponents saying the quiet part out loud. That's right. It was a bit of a Freudian slip, wasn't it? Uh, She really was saying what they... And this, of course, has always been uh, in Australian history too what the private sector, particularly the Roman Catholic sector, have been about. They do want to undermine and, if necessary, destroy public education. They succeeded in doing it in Ireland, Uh, at the end of the 19th century, but they didn't succeed in doing it in Australia because Australia at that time withdrew the public money from the Catholic sector. And I think we've forgotten a lot of our history, but America is now discovering all of this because they've never been through it like Australia has. Uh, Back to you, Maddie. Thank you, Jean. School choice proponents have confidence that their calls for ESAs will win over lawmakers, but opposition to these programs is not withering, even among Republicans. In Idaho, a Freedom in Education Savings Accounts Bill that was under consideration in the legislature was ultimately defeated in the Senate. Most Senate Republicans opposed the bill. Proponents of public education continue to warn that with more resources going to ESAs and other kinds of voucher programs, there will be fewer dollars to fund community public schools, especially in rural and under-resourced communities that constantly struggle to maintain service. If the school choice movement had its way and the marketplace is the only driver of schooling, there may be communities with no schools because no one is interested in operating a school in that community, said Carol Burris, who is the executive director of the Network for Public Education. Carol also said, or it may be that the only school is a religious school, 
So if you want a secular school for your child, you will be out of luck. Remember, private schools choose students, Ferris added. Many of these schools do not enroll students who are LGBTQIA+, or who have special needs. Well, this means, doesn't it, this actually means that school choice uh, actually means that students, large numbers of students, have no choice. We can also remind our listeners that when we're talking about ESAs, we're talking about education success account programs, which is actually just another word for voucher programs. But um, as we all know, politicians change the name and it makes it sound good. But think about it, education success account program. What a strange, strange idea. Just hogwash. Absolute hogwash. <laughs> well, it's, um, <laughs> it, I think it's called branding. Yes. <laughs> or yes. calling a rose by another name, but in this case it's um, something much worse than a rose. Uh, sorry, over to you, uh, Madeline. Thank you. Uh, parents may find that they have no school options at all other than homeschooling or online schools. And we can see how this story ends. Unfortunately, too few people are paying attention, said Carol. Back in Virginia, Bowman is not alone in her fight for public schools. Vouchers take money out of the budget meant for public schools and route it to various recipients that include private schools and homeschooling businesses. The Virginia Public Education Partners, a grassroots group that opposes school privatization, said in a statement sent to our schools. So public schools have less opportunity to address teachers and bus driver shortages, school maintenance, overcrowding, mental health and safe buildings. Public schools are meant to create intelligent, responsible, civically engaged citizens, said Bowman. They're often the hearts of our communities, especially in rural areas of the nation. Families, faculty members and the community regular, regularly come together for school sporting events and school concerts, she added. I'd hate to see the positive community spirit surrounding my neighbourhood public schools erode under misguided school voucher laws. Yes, well, we need to learn to live together and um, it's it's at school that you learn to do this and that's why the dogs promote public schools. But thank you. That is our press release for this week and you'll find it on www.adogs.info and we'll have a bit of a break and Dale has got some vaccine figures for you. Are you a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. Call 03 9419 8377 or sign up online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Well, you're still listening to the dogs. Now we've got some facts and figures from Trevor Cobalt from Save Our Schools. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yes, I've got an article by Trevor Cobalt here. The school funding system is heavily biased against public schools. The following is a slightly revised version of a presentation by Trevor Cobalt to a policy symposium on funding, equity and achievement in Australian schools held at the Melbourne Graduate School of Education on the 17th of April. Ten years ago, the Gonski funding model promised much to reduce the vast inequity in school funding and outcomes. 
What we got was the reverse, courtesy of sabotage by successive coalition governments which have always favoured choice over equity and because of the failure of state governments to deliver adequate funding for public schools. School funding in Australia is in a parlous state. It is heavily biased against public schools and systematically favours private schools in terms of past funding increases, resource levels and current funding arrangements. Fixing this is not on the immediate agenda of the Albanese government. All it has done is delay addressing it with yet another inquiry when we already know what has to be done. Increases in government funding for private schools have far outstripped increases for public schools. Government funding increases have massively favoured private schools since 2009 and for years prior to this. Funding per student in private schools adjusted for inflation increased by three times that for public schools between 2009 and 2020. Commonwealth Government funding of private schools was also three times that for public schools. Despite having the major responsibility for public schools, the states have not delivered any significant funding increases. Indeed, they cut funding in real terms up to 2019 while increasing funding for private schools. Income per student in independent schools increased by more than five times that for for public schools and income per student in Catholic schools increased by almost five times that for public schools. Private schools have a large resource advantage. The result is that private schools now have a big resource advantage over public schools. The income per student in independent schools is over 50% more than that of public schools and 12% higher for Catholic schools. The prospect is for these trends to continue under the current funding arrangements unless they're dramatically revised. This is because the direct measure of income, the DMI model introduced by the Morrison government, is fundamentally flawed and because the current Commonwealth state bilateral funding agreements are heavily biased against public schools. Commonwealth funding of private schools is fundamentally flawed. The DMI purports to measure the capacity of families with children in private schools to contribute financially to their education. It is based on the adjusted taxable income of families. It underestimates the capacity to contribute because it excludes the bank of mum and dad, non-taxed income from capital gains, and non-disclosed income, such as in overseas bank accounts or tax havens. The DMI assumes that only the parents of the children pay the school fees. This is demonstrably false. Many private school students have their fees fully or partly paid by their grandparents. One financial services company estimates that 60% of private school students have had their fees at least partly paid by the grandparents. It also ignores other income from grandparents, such as money for home deposits and other expenditures, such as cars, household assets, childcare, etc., that frees up income to be spent on school fees. The Bank of Mum and Dad is reputed to be the ninth largest bank in Australia. Over 50% of parents help their adult children with a variety of expenses, including school fees.
as a result of this direct and indirect financial support for families, which is not recorded in adjustable taxable income, the capacity of private school parents to pay school fees is vastly underestimated. Consequently, private schools are overfunded by taxpayers. Another flaw is that only 50% of the income from selling family capital assets is recorded as taxable income. The other 50% is not included as taxable income and therefore is not included in the DMI of families. As a result, their actual income and capacity to contribute is further underestimated. Adjusted taxable income ignored includes non-disclosed income held in overseas bank accounts and tax havens. A few years ago, the tax office announced that it was investigating more than 100 Australian parents with children at 60 elite private schools who paid school fees from overseas bank accounts. The tax office was concerned that offshore accounts being used to pay the fees were concealing much larger amounts of money amounting to millions of dollars. Assessing the financial need of schools according to the capacity of families to contribute ignores a major source of income for elite private schools, namely donations and investment income. Figures obtained from the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission shows that 50 of the richest private schools in Australia raked in $611 million from these sources over five years from 2017 to 2021. Just 10 schools raked in nearly $300 million. They include Melbourne Grammar with $43.2 million, Geelong Grammar $32 million and Scotch College with $31.4 million. Several elite private schools even received donations from overseas. The Australian Independent Schools USA Foundation raises donations for 25 Australian private schools from the US and Canada. Annual returns filed with the US Internal Revenue Service shows how it raised over $10 million Australian during 2018 to 2020. None of this income is included in the assessment of the financial need of these wealthy private schools. It means that their financial need is overestimated, which results in overfunding by you, the taxpayer. Even apart from these flaws, the current funding model is overfunding many wealthy schools on its own criteria. Private schools are supposed to be funded at 80% of their schooling resource standard, the SRS, by the Commonwealth Government and the remaining 20% by state governments. However, official figures provided to Senate estimates reveal that many of these exclusive schools are massively overfunded by the Commonwealth in 2023. For example, in New South Wales, Loretto Curabilly is funded at 134% of its SRS by the Commonwealth instead of 80%. Melbourne Grammar was funded at 104%, Brisbane Grammar at 125%, and St Mary's Anglican Girls' School in Perth at 120%. The figures show that Catholic systems systemic schools in every state and territory are funded at over 80% of their SRS by the Commonwealth. Nearly 30% of all independent schools are also funded at over 80%, while the rest are fully funded.
the overfunding will continue for at least the next five years. No private school is underfunded by Commonwealth in 2023. The Commonwealth state funding agreements defraud public schools. While private schools are being lavished with funding, public schools are being defrauded by the Commonwealth state bilateral funding agreements, which the Labor government has extended for another year to 2024. The Australian Education Act requires the Commonwealth to fund public schools to 20% of their SRS, and the states will, continue, will contribute at least 75%. The funding agreements specify achievement of the state targets by the end of the decade in most cases. The agreements are a massive fraud on public schools. There are three sources of underfunding by the states. First, there's the gap of 5% points between the official 75% target share for the states and the 80% share allocated to them in the Education Act. At present, there's no firm proposal to fill this gap. Second, all states except Western Australia, South Australia and the ACT are funding public, public schools at less than their target 75% share. Under the current agreements, most states are not due to achieve the 75% target until 2029 and 2032 in the case of Queensland and 2050 for the Northern Territory. Third, all states except the ACT can claim up to four percentage points against their target share for expenditures such as depreciation and school transport that are explicitly excluded from the measure of the SRS. Several states can also claim expenditure on curriculum and standards authorities that are also excluded from the measure of the SRS. This skullduggery is defrauding public schools of over $2 billion a year. The sources of this underfunding amount to about $6.8 billion this year. They mean the maximum state shares of the SRS of public schools by 2029 will only be 71% or less in all states except the ACT. Accordingly, they will, only they will be only funded at 91% or less of their SRS for many years. Public schools are underfunded and private schools are overfunded. The official projected shares of the SRS for public and private schools are misleading. The Commonwealth shares ignore funding for private schools outside the DMI model. Public schools are underfunded by billions. The cumulative underfunding of public schools from 2019 to 2029 amounts to about $73.7 billion under the current arrangements. Almost all funding is by the states. The extension of the current agreements for another year by the Albanese government could cost public schools about $70 million in funding because it allows the states to freeze their SRS shares at their current level for 2024. In contrast, private schools will be overfunded by about $5.9 billion. The cumulative Commonwealth overfunding of private schools from 2019 to 2029 will amount to about $2.7 billion and state overfunding will be about $3.2 billion. 
So in conclusion, the current school funding system is destroying public education. Public education is being progressively dismantled and reduced to a welfare safety net while the privatisation of education increases. Inequality in school outcomes and social segregation between schools is deepening. Massive achievement gaps between rich and poor continue. Apart from the disastrous effect on the lives of disadvantaged students, it has serious implications for the nature of our society and Australia's future economic prosperity. This parlous situation demands a comprehensive revision to better direct taxpayer funding where it's most needed. We must look to a Gonski Plus funding model, fully based on need. In particular, public schools must be fully funded and the disadvantaged loadings should be increased because international studies show that they are far too low to be effective. Taxpayer funding for private schools should only fill the gap between private income and the base SRS. Governments should not be in the business of providing a resource advantage to private schools as they are now. We're at a critical point in school funding. The defrauding of public schools and the overfunding of private schools must end. The challenge for the next National School Reform Agreement is to deliver a fairer funding system and greater equity in school outcomes. And that was from Trevor Cobalt and Save Our Schools. And you can find that article on the Save Our Schools website under the heading funding. And there's some charts uh, that he includes in there that are very illuminating. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you, Dale. There's not too much fairness around in Australia at the moment and uh, uh, the public school system is fighting a crisis. And one of the crises it's fighting, of course, is the teacher shortages. And here we've got Sorrel to tell us a bit about what's going up in New South Wales. Over to you, Sorrel. Thanks, Jean. So up in New South Wales, urgent action is required to address the teacher shortages. New figures showing 2,172 permanent teaching positions were vacant in New South Wales public schools in February. This reinforces the urgent need for action on the causes of teacher shortages, unsustainable workloads and uncompetitive salaries. The Department of Education figures reveal how widespread the shortages are with every area of New South Wales affected. In country areas, as many as one in eight positions were vacant in February, with the biggest problems in the state's west, southwest and the northern tablelands. In Sydney, the highest number of vacancies were in the Liverpool area. The figures also show 92 councillor positions were vacant in New South Wales, further exacerbating the chronic shortage of councillors across the state. New South Wales Teaching Federation President Angelo Gavrilatos said the MINS government has been advised the unions expect negotiations to begin this week, week one of term two. We face a classroom crisis in New South Wales, he said. Thousands of teaching positions are vacant. The number of teachers resigning has doubled in two years and the number of people studying to become a teacher has dropped by 30%. Teacher shortages mean kids miss out and teachers burn out. The coalition created this crisis by allowing workloads to rise to the point where two-thirds of teachers say they are burnt out. Thanks to their wage cap, 
teachers are earning the same salary as they did a decade ago after inflation is factored in. We can't fix the shortages problem without fixing the wages and workload problem. We commend Labor for their commitment to lift wages and reduce the administration workloads of teachers, and we want to sit down and begin intensive negotiations this week. Nobody should underestimate the size of the investment required to ensure we can keep our teachers in the classroom and recruit the ones we need. But if we truly want every single child in New South Wales to get a great education, it is an investment that must be made. There are no shortcuts here, as the coalition proved by spending $4 million in 18 months to recruit just 13 teachers from interstate and overseas. Oh, very interesting, isn't it? Teachers are suddenly becoming like hens teach, shall we say. It's one way of proving how essential they are to our well-being in Australia. They did such a great job during the pandemic and they now want more than thanks. But we'll have a bit of a break and we'll go over to America again. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Well, welcome back. And we've got a little bit more on, on vouchers. Over to Dale as she goes off to America again. Now with our Diane Ravitch blog. Florida, how the state tries to cover up problems in voucher schools. Leslie Postal and Anne Martin are star reporters for the Orlando Sentinel. In 2017, they wrote a three-part series on Florida's voucher schools, showing the incidents of discrimination and unqualified staff, among other problems. The series, called Schools Without Rules, painted a devastating portrait of the low quality of the voucher sector. This year, they sought to access the state's records to open a new investigation. The state stonewalled them and put a high price on their access to public records. Here is their report. One former teacher's four-page complaint to the state urged an investigation into the vast scope of educational neglect taking place at the private Christian school in Osceola County. Another detailed concerns at a South Florida Jewish school, a cleaning lady substituting for teacher, it said. In other complaints, parents wrote about upsetting incidents or worrisome deficiencies at their children's private schools. Children of all ages are running out of the classroom, screaming and hitting each other, an Orange County mother wrote. They don't provide lunch and they don't even have a place to eat, a Fort Lauderdale parent wrote. I don't see any evidence of academics, wrote a Panhandle parent. These concerns were detailed in written complaints filed with the Florida Department of Education from 2015 to 2020 against private schools that take Florida school vouchers, the state scholarships that help families pay their children's tuition bills. In the past 18 months, at least 238 new complaints have been filed, according to the department. The Orlando Sentinel requested copies of those documents and any related information gathered from the schools on January 24th. 
The request was similar to the public records requests it's made for complaints against private schools several times since 2017. The Education Department said in a February 15 email that it could provide copies of the complaints of the complaint files for an estimated charge of $10,414.70, an amount the newspaper considers exorbitant, out of line with what was charged in past years, and an effort to block access to public records on the topic of public interest. The government isn't supposed to be turning public school records into a profit centre for their agencies, and that seems to be what's developed in the last few years, says Julie Anderson, editor-in-chief of the Orlando Sentinel and the Sun Sentinel in South Florida. Either that or they don't want to fulfil the request. Journalists across the state are receiving excessive cost estimates in response to public records requests, said Michael Barfield, Director of Public Access Initiatives for the Florida Centre Government Accountability, a Sarasota-based government watchdog group. He said he's seen a huge explosion and increase in fees assessed by state agencies during the past 18 months to two years. I've been doing this for 30-plus years, Barfield said. It's accurate to say that in the digital era where everything is computerised, accessing public records has become more expensive than it was during the era when everything was on a typewriter and in filing cabinets. He added, I've never seen fees like what we're seeing now. School vouchers are a hot topic in Florida and across the country this year. The complaints filed against the participating private schools, the Sentinel has found, provide a window into the workings of some of the private schools that take part in the state voucher programs that, but operate mostly outside of state control. The state's current voucher programs spend nearly $2 billion to send more than 252,000 students to about 2,000 private schools. Governor Ron DeSantis last month signed legislation making those programs, now mostly targeted to youngsters from low-income families, universal so that all school-age students in the state are eligible for scholarships. State leaders predict about 80,000 additional students will take these state vouchers next school year. In the Sentinel's 2017 Schools Without Rules investigation, complaints helped the paper to document private schools that had hired teachers whose only academic credential was a high school diploma, employed instructors with criminal records, falsified fire and health inspections for their buildings, and taught questionable academic lessons. For the latest records request, the Education Department did not say how many pages of documents were in the 238 complaint files the Sentinel wants, but it estimated it would take 400 hours or the equivalent of 10 work weeks and extensive use of resources and extensive clerical and supervisory assistance by the department personnel to fulfil it. In 2017, the Sentinel paid $49.77 for eight complaint files, which were provided six days after the request was filed. At that rate, it would expect to pay about $1,500 for the 238 files. 
This year, it took the department three weeks to provide a cost estimate that topped $10,000. The complaints typically do not lead to any action against the school. By law, the state has no control over the operations of private schools, even if they rely completely on state scholarships for their revenue. Unlike public schools, such private schools can hire teachers without college degrees, teach whatever curricula they choose, and set up in facilities from storefronts to church meeting rooms that do not meet Florida's school building codes. A parent who complained about a Miami school in 2020, for example, said it was not providing the proper education, nutritional lunch, or physical education the family expected. The department sent the parent its standard letter saying it did not regulate private schools, but the parent may wish to transfer your student to any other scholarship participating school. Typically, private schools can keep secret much of their information, from staff credentials to student success on standardised tests. But when someone files a complaint, a public record is created. If the complaint alleges violations of scholarship rules, the state can investigate and ask the school to provide documents, including employee background checks or credentials. A single complaint the Education Department shared with the Sentinel in March as attorneys for the paper and the department negotiated the scope and cost of the public school public records request showed, for example, that three teachers at Downey Christian School in East Orange did not have bachelor's degrees in October 2021 when a complaint against the school was filed. Those instructors taught middle school maths and science, high school English and high school maths, the records show. The school enrolls more than 300 students who use state scholarships, bringing in more than $1.4 million, according to the data from Step Up for Students, which administers most of Florida's scholarships. Downey's administrator did not respond to a request for comment. Most of the complaints from 2017 to 2020, many of them handwritten, detail the concerns of parents with children enrolled in the schools and the teachers who work there, but sometimes they include emails and documents from government officials such as child welfare investigators or fire marshals. In 2016, for example, the Orange County Fire Marshal contacted the Education Department about severe fire code violations that are life safety critical at a Pine Hills school. The department said Agape Christian Academy had submitted paperwork indicating that it was in compliance with fire codes, a requirement to take vouchers, but the fire marshal told state officials his office did not produce the documents. The department revoked the school from the voucher program in 2017 after the fire code violations and other problems came to light. That same year, a child welfare investigator raised concerns about the criminal record of a teacher at another West Orange school. Under state law, the woman should not have been hired at a school that accepted state scholarships, and the school fired her at the state's insistence. In 2021, 
the newspaper reported on the former Winners Primary School in West Orange, where a teacher had been arrested on accusations of soliciting sexually explicit videos from a student. The complaint file helped document high teacher turnover, shoddy employment vetting procedures, and the hiring of at least 10 teachers without college degrees, as well as concerns about student safety and poor quality academics. Someone needs to visit the school and see what takes place there, wrote a parent who filed a complaint in 2019. The school, which has since changed its name to Providence Christian Preparatory School, remains in the state voucher program with about 170 students using scholarships, bringing in more than $570,000. The former teacher pleaded no contest to the use of a child in a sexual performance, a second-degree felony, last year. The Sentinel's attorney, Rachel Fugate, says she's continuing to negotiate with the department. I'm still hopeful we'll reach a resolution that provides the Sentinel access to these meaningful documents at a reasonable cost, she added. Inflating cost estimates blocks access to records, discourages members of the public from making requests and interferes with the democratic process, Barfield said. We call them public records because they belong to the public, she said. Well, things are not too good in Tallarook and uh, perhaps they're not too good in the rest of Australia for public education, but in spite of all the problems, it still does a great job. So here is our good news story, the Great State School. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools. School are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. <laughs> And this week's great state school is University High School, which has a very special place in my heart because I went there. I am going to read you something from their website now. University High School has a long and proud history of providing outstanding educational opportunities to its diverse local community. Our students and our families are the heart and soul of our school. When students come to University High, they are surrounded by an outstanding learning environment focused on emotional, social and academic development and led by creative, passionate and dedicated teachers who are leaders in their field. At University High School, each student's individuality is valued so that they too find their place, their passion, and their means of contributing confidently to the world. I'm going to read you some facts and figures now from the Akara My School website. There are 1,759 students enrolled at this school, and in the upper quartile of parental income, there is 53% of the students. In the second highest quartile, there is 28% of the students. In the third quartile, there is 12% of the students. And in the lowest quartile, there is 8% of the students. So really, it's a school with mainly advantaged students, with some only selected on academic ability, with 63% speaking a language other than English and 1% Indigenous students. 
Now to finances, the recurrent annual grants, the Australian government provides $5.2 million, the Victorian government $20.1 million, fees and parental contributions amount to $621,000 and other private contributions amount to $1.5 million. It costs $16,334 to send a student here and capital over three years is $7 million. NAPLAN results, all except writing, are above average. So congratulations, University High School. You are our great state school of the week. Well, that's our program for this week, listeners. Um, you've been listening to the DOGS program, and we thank you for allowing us into your homes uh, and uh, for your interest and your support. And uh, if you want to hear more about us, go to our website at www.adogs.info. But from Dale and Maddie and Sol and myself, it's bye for now.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.